I'm Greg. I'm the uh, pastor here, senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. I want to welcome all of you. If you're visiting for the first time, we encourage you to fill out the visitor's form in the bulletin and turn it in at the visitor's table in the gathering area. And if you do that, we've got some information about the church, a tape, and some other things that let you know kind of what we're about. And, and maybe it's the case that the Lord is calling you to be a part of this body. There's three things that I think were significant that are significant about this morning. The first is that I'm actually not going to preach on the cross and the sword. I'm moving on. I know some of you don't believe that, but, but uh, I know others are going, yay. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm actually going to move on. Uh, a second thing is that uh, I turned 47 years old a couple days ago. Five louder, I can't hear you. Eh? Um, then uh, the third thing that is significant about this morning in particular is that this is the first anniversary of our growing in the spirit move. Amen. That's good. And in fact, I'm kind of using this as a springboard to kind of do an assessment of how we are, in fact, growing in the spirit. So I want to call this message God's Word to Woodland Hills Church. I was going to call it God's report card about Woodland Hills Church, but I thought that may make some of you nervous, and I don't want to make you nervous, but that's really what the sermon's about. But so as not to make you nervous, it's just God's word to Woodland Hills Church. And I want to read, start by reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says this, we, referring to the church, we are what he has made us, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So here you get the idea that long before Jesus ever was incarnated, God prepared that those who are recreated in Christ Jesus, that new humanity, that is, the body of Christ, that they would walk in good works. It would be their way of life. They would do what Jesus did. The good works isn't a sort of secondary, ancillary, footnote kind of a thing, sort of an addendum to the Christian life. It's one of the purposes for which God created us in Christ Jesus. He prepared beforehand that those who are created in Christ Jesus would do these works. I want to pray for the message, and I would like to have some intercessors around the auditorium. If I could, raise your hand if you'll just keep me covered in prayer as the word's going forward. Excellent. Let's pray. Lord, our, our, our confidence is not at all in a human speech or in nice music. Uh, God, uh, for your kingdom to be built, what we're absolutely convinced of is that you're the only one who can do it. One can plant, one can water, but you've got to give the increase. And if your kingdom's going to increase here this morning, you've got to do it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that right now you would, that sweet presence of Jesus right here and right now, Lord, Give authority to what is said here. Give us ears to hear and hearts to listen and a will to obey and transform us. And Father, I pray most importantly here that God, all who are spiritually aligned with Woodland Hills Church, Lord, would as a result of what goes forward here this morning, take more ownership of it and feel more of a corporate solidarity and a sense of us-ness with this. Let your word go forth and let it have all the authority that you know that it needs to have in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. I believe that there is, in the heart of every human being on the planet, a need, a desperate need, a non-negotiable need to feel important. To have your life count, 
I suppose it's possible to kill it if you really try hard enough and long enough. But by nature, we have this need to feel significant, to feel important, to, to make a difference in someone's life. That's not a carnal thing. That's a God-built thing. It's part of our Constitution. And that inbuilt need is there as a sort of homing device to point us to Jesus Christ. Because it's only in the person of Jesus Christ that we find the significance and the importance that our heart is created to have. We find worth and significance just by virtue of our experience of God's love towards us as evidenced by Calvary. But we also find experience, uh, we also find significance in our experience of the life of Christ being birthed inside of us. God could have created a world where he did everything unilaterally on his own, but he has decided to give his bride not only worth by ascribing worth to her by dying for her on Calvary, but by partnering with her to see his kingdom built on earth as it is in heaven. We find worth and significance because God calls us to work with him to see his kingdom built on earth as it is in heaven. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. That gives our life significance. It gives us meaning. God really does depend on us to do what he created us and saved us to do if his will is going to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Our life has that much significance, and it also has that much responsibility. We're created to be the new humanity, the Bible says. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, think like Jesus, do Jesus, replicate Jesus in our life individually and corporately. Jesus didn't sit on a hilltop sort of just enjoying his relationship with God. He lived it out, and how he lived it out made an impact in the world. And so it is for individual believers, and so it is for the church. We're called, we're saved not just to be recipients of blessing, but to be a blessing. We're given a vocation, a job description when we are saved. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And that's not an addendum. That's not a proliferary, secondary sort of a thing. That's part of the package of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, to motivate us, for our own good, to motivate us in living out the life, in making a difference, in having significance, in having good works as a way of life, to motivate that, the Lord holds us accountable. There's an accounting that needs to take place. A lot of Protestant circles, uh, there's no idea of the believer actually giving an account of what they do with their life because some segments of Protestantism overreacted against the overemphasis on works in Catholicism in the 17th century. And so the idea that believers give account of their life or that works are really important has really kind of dropped out in a lot of quarters, which is why you have this sort of cheap grace thinking that's pretty pervasive in, in American culture. But from a biblical perspective, we're called to live out the Christian life in terms of good works, in terms of uh, replicating Jesus, and we give an account of it. One example of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says this, No one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So we're not here to rebuild Jesus Christ. That foundation is sure. But we're called to build on that foundation. So Paul says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day, this day of accounting, for the believer now, will disclose it. 
because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work, the quality of work that each has done. Here we have this idea that while, while the salvation, the foundation is secure, we're held accountable for what we build on that foundation. What's at stake in this judgment is not whether or not we're saved, whether or not we're children of God. What's at stake is what have you built on that foundation? What have you done with what God has given you? There's no universal standard that all of us are held up to because God gives each of us something different. So there's no room in the community of Christ for comparing and, and things of that sort. But God knows what he's given you to work with and God uh, holds you accountable for doing something with that. You find this teaching throughout the New Testament. In, in Romans chapter 14, Paul says, we will all stand before the judgment uh, uh, seat of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, all believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be this judgment, this accounting that goes on. Many of the parables of Jesus just don't fit into a lot of classical Protestant theology because uh, the parables are about a master and a servant. And it's clear that the master is the master of the servant. That relationship is secure. But the Lord, the master says to some, but not all the servants, well done, thou good and faithful servants. And others are held accountable for what they were supposed to do but didn't do. Believers will give an account of what they've done with their life. Now, if that idea is itself rather foreign to a lot of Protestant theology, what I'm going to say right now is radically foreign to a lot of Protestant theology. And it's this. The accounting that we're going to give is not strictly an individual thing. There's a corporate dimension to it. The Bible never considers the individual apart from relationships that the individual is a part of. Who the individual is is part of the group, and who the group is is part of the individual. And there is, in a very real sense, a sort of corporate accounting that, that uh, people will give. God considers the body of Christ and every particular expression of the body of Christ as a corporate whole, and that corporate whole answers for what it as a corporate whole does. From a biblical perspective, we're all part of one body. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are still one body, so it is with Christ. Our Western way of thinking, our individualistic way of thinking, doesn't know how to make sense out of this. But from a scriptural perspective, the body of Christ really, ontologically, metaphysically, genuinely, authentically, is, is, is one thing. It's a corporate whole. And so to some degree, to a significant degree, we stand or fall together. In the same way that what happens to my body is going to affect my hand, what happens to my hand affects my body. By definition, so also what happens to one person in, in, a, in, in the body of Christ affects all. Where, we, where one person is at affects where everyone's at. Where everyone is at affects where one person is at. We tend to see the body of Christ as simply a collection of individuals. But the real thing is just the individuals. But from a biblical perspective, the individuals are real, but so also is the togetherness of those individuals. They're part of one another. They're spiritually woven together. And the accounting that we give on that day, when we are given our report card, as it were, will not just be what we've done individually, but what we have done collectively. You see this very clearly in a, in, in a, a series of passages that are Rather strange to our ordinary Western way of thinking about things, but it's found in the book of Revelation, where God gives report cards of churches, corporate solidarities. He treats collections of individuals 
as, as an individual because from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, and therefore from the true perspective, in a sense we are one individual, and we as one individual will give an account of what we as one giant individual have done before the Lord. So here's what the Lord says in Revelations chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, apparently there are angels in charge of local congregations. You know that? I, I, uh, it's, it's an odd thought. I, I always am asking the Lord, please, to give us a nice, powerful, wise, smart, strong, and very competent angel. Uh, and I, I'm not saying the angel we have is not strong, confident. Please, I'm not saying that at all. I know. But I just want to be sure. God, put a good, you know, spiritual guardian over our church. But he says, write to the angel, to the church at Ephesus, write. And now he gives a report card. I know your works your toil and your patient endurance. And then he goes on and gives some praiseworthy things. But I have this against you, he says. Yeah, the report card's not altogether good. Here's something you got to work on. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. And then he goes on to give report cards to six other congregations, to the church at Smyrna Rite and to the church at Pergamum Rite. And he says some positive things, but then does a little bit of a rebuke. And to the church at Sardis Rite, positive things, but some negative things. To the church at Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea. He, he writes it to the church. In fact, what's even more interesting is that seven times in the process of these two chapters, he repeats after every one of these report cards, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So the letter's written not just to the spiritual agent, but written to the churches. And God is holding those churches accountable. Now there may be individuals within those churches for whom the report card didn't personally apply, but that doesn't matter. The church as a whole is being held accountable for what they're supposed to do. Now there's two things we got to get out of this. Actually, a couple things, but two things to get me started. Number one, apparently churches are supposed to do things. <laughs> Revelation from God, newsflash. Now, see, actually, that's a, that, that's a word because uh, it is a pervasive mindset uh, out, out there, maybe in here, that the purpose of church is simply because you're supposed to do it. This is what you do on Sunday mornings, and this is where you do go to hear a little word that's going to improve your life, and this is where you go to sing songs with other people, and, 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 and that's the purpose of church. And it's true that we do come together to hear the proclamation of the word and be confronted and stretched, and it's true we do come together to worship the Lord, and that's, those are important things. But what these passages tell me is that the report card is, is, is based on what are you doing? What impact are you having? Are you living out the kingdom? Are you making a difference for the kingdom of God? Bottom line is, what in fact is changed because you're here? The reason why we come together, the reason why we sacrifice together, the reason why we bleed together, the reason why we pray together, the reason why we worship together is ultimately because we're called to do a task to together. And that task is spreading the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness in every way, shape, and form that we can do it. The bottom line is what difference are we in fact making? God created us to walk in good works which he prepared beforehand. That's part of the design. And he genuinely relies on us, not just individually, but corporately, to make a corporate difference in the world around us. So the point number one is the church is called to do things. We're called to do things, and we're held accountable, each one of us, and us together, for what we do or don't do. The second thing is this, and this is the weird thing for us Western individuals, but take it on the authority of the Word of God. To a certain degree, to a significant degree, to a very, very large degree, actually, we stand or fall together. 
because what happens to the church, the report card that's given to the church is given to every individual in that church, however much they do or don't line up with that report card. We're part of a corporate whole. My hand may be healthy, but it'll be doing very little good if my heart is, is, is failing me. We stand or fall together. There is that corporate solidarity where the responsibility is shared among us, which means this. We need one another. My hearing from the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's got to be the primary driving force of my life. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you and, and, and you multiplied it. You did something with it. But for me to hear that, I need you to hear, well, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because part of my future depends on you. The social God wired it into the DNA of the church that it works that way. We genuinely need one another. The significance of my life in part depends on you living out the significance of your life. I need you, and you need me, and we need one another. The report card comes to the church as a whole. So all who are spiritually aligned with this particular body have a vested interest in everybody in this spiritual body being their best so that we as a spiritual body can be our best. Are you following me here? And if this isn't part of your spiritual body, we bless you. Take this back and apply it to the body that you're a part of. But the bottom line is what, in fact, are we doing? I am sometimes amazed when I read in various literatures the kind of things that people uh, look for in churches, the criteria they have for deciding where they go. And that's fine to a, to a degree. But the bottom line thing you've got to be looking for is, is the church doing something? Because you've got to know that whether the church that you're part of is doing something or not comes back on you, for better or for worse. You, you are aligned with that body, and from a heaven's eye perspective, what happens to you is part of what happens to that body. What happens to that body is part of what happens to you. But we need one another. We hang on one another. This is the biblical motivation for encouraging one another. It's not just for your sake. It's for my sake as well. I can, out of a purely selfish interest, say, if this is your spiritual body, get on board, get plugged in, because it's hurting me when you're not there. I, 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 I'm going to lose some of what I want to hear from the Lord when I go before him on that day, when that, that fire of his love purges everything about my life that's not consistent with him. I will be affected by what you do or don't do. And so it is, you'll be affected by what I do or don't do. We're all affected with one another. Out of purely selfish reasons, I'd say then this. Although I'm not saying it for purely selfish reasons, of course not, I'm the pastor, but I'm saying it for the good of the whole and for your sake. Don't be, don't be a, 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 an American pew-sitting, spectating uh, believer. Don't be the occasional Christian. Get involved. Get passionate. Get plugged in. Become part of what's going on here. Become a, a, a sacrifice of your time, of your prayer, of your resources, so that we together can carry out the vision that God has given to us. I, for very selfish reasons, am imploring you to do that. But it's good for you to do that, and it's good for all of us to do that. If, to the extent that any are lagging behind, the church to that degree lags behind. There's a real reality to the unity of the church. Now, what are we called to do? What unites us? How, how is this corporate solidarity manifested in our midst? Well, what the church is called to do, we've said the last six weeks, is we're called to do the kingdom, which is simply called to replicate Jesus. Wherever you see people that are looking like, talking like, thinking like, acting like Jesus, that is the kingdom of God by definition, and that's what separates it from just a religious organization. But more specifically, the way that we're called to live out the kingdom is expressed in our vision. 
This is the one thing we have in common. This is what unites us, the vision that God has given this particular congregation to live out. We may have a trillion things that, that uh, differentiate us from one another, but there's only one thing that we have and only one thing that we need to have to unite us together, and that is we feel called to be a participant in this vision. Now, the vision that God's given us at Woodland Hills Church is this, and I would like everybody who's spiritually aligned with this body, whether you're a covenant partner or not, to have this thing memorized. But I want us all to read it here uh, this morning. The vision of our church. Can we all read it together? The vision is to be a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area and to the world as the Lord leads working hand in hand with other expressions of the body of Christ until all have reached fullness in Christ. This is why this place exists. It's not to give warm fuzzies and to massage ears. We exist to fulfill that vision, and that's the criteria that we'll be held to on that day. Either hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servants, or what, what, what were you thinking? I want to hear the first one. But this is what we unite around. It's the only thing we unite around. And everything we do has got to fall into and be an expression of that vision statement. This is what we corporately bleed for. This is what we sacrifice our time and our resources for, is to see that particular vision fulfilled. Now, about two years ago, we began to hear, the overseers began to hear, and others began to hear, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. We began to hear the Lord give us a sort of, almost a fire before the fire, a report card, uh, an encouragement, but also a confrontation, just like he did the church at Smyrna or Ephesus or Philadelphia. And the word of the Lord came to us about how we're doing on this vision statement. And it was kind of a prophetic word. And it was something like this. It didn't come into us all at one time. It came over a process, but it was very much in our face. And the word went, went something like this. You know, Woodland Hills Church... I know your enthusiasm in worship and your fervor in proclamation, and, and that's a good thing. But you are still too much of an event and not enough of a community. Become a community. Become a community. And church that calls itself Woodland Hills Church, I, I know your love for youth and your passion for youth, but you're not yet reaching the youth. I have multitudes of people around you, multitudes of young people around you with open minds and open hearts, wounded kids all around you, and you're not reaching them. So I'm calling you to whatever it takes by whatever means to reach those kids. Uh, put a lamp on the hill. Uh, proclaim it from the housetop. Create a pond where the fish will come and reach those youths. And so we felt called to embark on the building of this youth center. And then we heard the Lord say to us, I know you call yourself Woodland Hills Church, but I call you a bridge. We heard this in such a strong way. Uh, biblically, your character is to be a bridge because I'm calling you to not just think about what's good for Woodland Hills, but what's good for the church of the Twin Cities and to, to, and to bridge all gulfs that you see there, to be a bridge between the suburb and the city, to be a bridge between uh, different denominations, to be a bridge between ethnic groups that are divided, to be a bridge between individual churches that aren't getting along, to bridge with other ministries. You call yourself Woodland Hills Church, but I call you the bridge. And so in response to that, in response to that, that's, that's, that's the, God was doing Revelations 2 and 3 there. And 
the act of obedience to that word is what has been called growing in the spirit. Growing in the spirit. We moved in the spirit when we got in this building, but we call this growing in the spirit. And what it meant is that for the next three plus years, we committed ourselves to working on each of those three areas. Our time, our energy, our resources, our prayer are directed in a very specific way. We are to become a community. Become a community. And so we're taking the concept of community and saturating the church with it. And I'm talking more about corporate solidarity and the need to be in small groups and things of that sort. Because God has told us we've got to be less of an event and more of a community. Our vision is to be a community of spiritually empowered people. And so we're committed to that for the next three plus years. And then we're committed to building this youth center. And the Growing in the Spirit campaign involves, includes that where we, uh, God gave us this passion to create a place where kids hang out after school and, and, and uh, get help with their homework and play pickup basketball and lift weights and shoot pool or whatever else. But yet there's contact made between them and the church and a place where they hang out on Friday nights and they party and, and we advertise it on secular radio stations. And, uh, and we, we, that's just a central part of what the Growing in the Spirit uh, thing is all about. But of course, building a youth center that you can't, uh, can't support is worthless. We need a lot of personnel there to have the kind of counselors and the assistants and the event coordinators and, and whatnot to run this thing. And so we really felt the Lord saying, get rid of the debt that you have. We acquired a $4.5 million debt when we moved into this building. And uh, the Lord was saying, you're, you're supporting bankers too much and people too little. And we love bankers. I love you. If you're a banker here, God bless you. Prosper. I wish blessing on you, but we're not going to support you anymore. Uh, we're weaning ourselves from you. God bless you. But uh, see, I, this frees up a half a million dollars a year for the rest of our, the church's history that we can now use to support this youth center. God called us to become a community. God called us to build a youth center. And God called us to be a bridge. Bridging ministries, bridging churches, bridging ethnic groups. And partly out of response to this, we have now entered into a relationship with Brenda Salter-McNeil. She'll be up here in July. And uh, for the next three years, she's going to be helping us think through the issues and work through the issues on, on racial reconciliation and whatnot. That's, what's the, that's what the growing in the spirit thing is all about. I don't like to call it campaign because people immediately think money. It's a growing in the spirit movement about us fulfilling the word of God to us. Now we have to, because we're not playing church here. This isn't just wonderful. We have to assess, after one year, how are we doing on this? Okay, there's a lot of good things. Have had. It's been a great, defining, focusing year for us, and I, I, I feel good about what has gone on. But we're not there yet. Uh, we've got a long way to go. And there are many challenges that are before us. But think about this. Where has there ever been a vision that was worth striving for that didn't have significant challenges? Challenges are par for the course. If you're not confronting challenges, that's just evidence that you're not shooting at anything significant. <laughs> uh, challenges are the norm. We've got, we've got challenges. Uh, you know, some have said, you know, if, if you're going to go for this youth center, do you have any idea what you're doing? Do you know the problems that you're going to bring in? Our kids aren't ready for this. Our youth group isn't ready for this. Our church isn't ready for this. The leadership isn't ready for this. And that's absolutely right. Uh, but see, that's why you have a vision. Uh, a vision isn't a report of what is. A vision is a report of where you're going. And when you hold the vision out in front of you, that's the catalyst that gets you to go where you need to go. When we see where we've got to be, that's the thing that puts pressure on you in the present uh, to move towards that. So yeah, there's a lot of challenges. But that's the way it's supposed to be. And the, the vision is the thing that creates those challenges. 
We've also, this last year, had a tremendous challenge with finances. Uh, those of you who have been looking in the bulletin and praying over the bulletin, I'm sure have more than once prayed over the finances of the church because it's just been a struggling year for us. Um, part of that's the economy, and part of it's other things, you know, who knows what. Um, and so we've had to make some adjustments, and you just got to know this. We had to cut out a half million dollars, actually more than a half million dollars, out of this next year's budget, and that was hard. All the overseers and the trustees just got out the razor blade and, and said, okay, we, we got to really fine-tune. It was a good thing in that it, it, it made us really sharpen our focus and ask the question, what's absolutely essential uh, to, to fulfilling our vision? And we had, uh, we had to cut out everything that was absolutely non-essential. And that required some restructuring of ministries. There were some hard decisions that affected personnel. That happens sometimes, and this is one of those seasons. We also had to make some adjustments that some of you will be noticing here. We're, we're not going to be having donuts out in the gathering area anymore. <laughs> I, fought, I, I fought for it, but I just couldn't keep it. Uh, pastries at all of our meetings, uh, pizzas at the Covenant Partner meetings. We, we just had to say it's, some of it's got to go. And I imagine that there'll be visitors here who will come in and we actually won't come back because we didn't have donuts. But, but what are you going to do? I mean, it's like uh, you can't cry over that thing. What we've got to remember is this. We're, 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 in, we're in a state of spiritual warfare, right? Uh, this is not playing church. It, it, it's a war zone. And sometimes in, in a state of war, sometimes you've got to tighten the belt a little bit. Sometimes you've got to ration supplies for the wartime effort. And that's what we're, we're, we're going in for. But what you've got to know is this. And to be a people who really listen to God, it means that you don't just have your finger up and, and, are, and are asking how convenient are things or, or, or you know, how easy will things be. When God gives you a word, you, you, you put your hand to the plow and you don't look back. And so while we'll make whatever necessary adjustments we need to make in order to keep on moving forward in a responsible way, we're not going to go to the left or to the right of this vision. We're going to keep on plowing straight ahead. Ain't nothing going to slow us down. Ain't nothing going to stop us. Uh, oh, no, we've got to keep on moving. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Nothing's ever going to keep me down. Yes, that's not, that's not the Bible, is it? It's in some song. Our faces are fixed like flint, uh, and, and our, our focus is sure, and we're moving towards this direction. And what I ask is here at the end is what I asked at the beginning, and that is this. If this is your church, for my sake, and for your sake, and for our sake, and for God's sake, get involved. Uh, get on board with this thing. Start owning the vision. Take ownership of this. Don't be a, a, a pew sitter, spectator, once in a while, occasional, just, just giver kind of a person. Uh, for your sake and for my sake and for our sake and for God's sake, jump in, get involved. Become a prayer partner with this church. Whether you're a covenant partner or, 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 or just spiritually on line with this church, uh, be praying for the ministries here. Be asking God where you're supposed to get plugged in. Be looking into small groups. Be asking God what is your financial participation for this uh, supposed to be. We're all in this together. We stand or fall together. This is the call of God that's on us. And I encourage you all to participate. Become, don't, don't be an event attender. Become a member, a part of the body of Christ, what God is doing here. And what, what happens to us all affects us individually, and what happens individually affects us all. Praise God. Could we stand here? I want to end with this prayer. And by the way, if, if uh, you're just now kind of getting tuned into what this growing in the Spirit thing is all about, we have a kiosk in the gathering area. Uh, where you can get information about what, we're, about what we're doing there and some of the reports and things of that sort. I encourage you to do that and stay invested in that 
move that God is leading us into. I'd like us to join our hands here. I want to end with a certain kind of a prayer. You got to know that if, um, if uh, you have any need, prayer needs whatsoever, I encourage you to come forward at the end of this prayer, and uh, there'll be some people who would love to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you not to leave here in that condition. We've got a person up to our right, your left, up here up front, who would love to talk to you about what it is to become a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I want us to pray this prayer. If you're visiting here, just apply it to whatever congregation uh, that you belong to. But if, you, if this is your church, I want you to pray this for this church. And don't pray it in a kind of pietistic Scandinavian way. I want us to pray Argentinian style. We're gonna, this is our liturgy here. I want this to be our prayer and so to pray it with passion. So, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are our God. You are our Lord. And Jesus Christ, you are our Savior. And we commit to being your people. We commit individually and together to carrying out your will, to seeing your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, move in us, move through us, motivate us, convict us, inspire us to be sold out people who do your will, who obey your voice. We surrender ourselves over to you and we trust that you'll use us to spread your kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area and to the world as the Lord leads. We can claim St. Paul as yours. We claim Maplewood as yours. We claim the metro area as yours. We claim the youth as yours. We claim all people as yours. And we commit to doing all that we can do, empowered by you, to reaching them with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's our prayer. Amen. That's our prayer. Amen. Let it be done. Praise God. The front of the auditorium, the front of the auditorium is open if you want to come forward for prayer. Over here to my right, your left, if you want to inquire about becoming a believer, go out and do the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you.